Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had a one long horn and one big eye. I commenced to shake him and I said, it looks like a purple people leader to me. It was a one night one. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Woo! Jesus Christ. And Michael Snydell. <laughs> Hello. What is up? We are here today to talk about the new movie out now, Color Out of Space by Richard Stanley, uh, starring Nicolas Cage. So if you are looking forward to a crazy time tonight, congratulations, you're in the right place. Before <laughs> we get into our review, the usual stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook, the Film State Show, go on iTunes, give us a comment rating. Email us, podcastfilmstage.com. If you would like to help support this program, you can go to patreon.com slash show to become a patron. For as little as $1 an episode, you help us to produce more great episodes. And, of course, you get access to our Slack channel and first crack at all of our raffles. Before we do anything else, we should also say that we are brought, he- brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new movie to watch and enjoy. You have 30 days to watch each film before it disappears into the ether, so you have a constantly rotating selection of 30 films to check out. You are able to download these onto your smartphone, so you can take them with you on the go. And, of course, you can watch on their fantastic streaming app on your smart TV and on your PC. A bunch of... Of really great stuff on there. Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book is a movie exclusive. You have To the Ends of the World by Guillaume Nicolas. They have a couple of great ongoing, uh, I would guess you would call them series going on now. Yuzo Kawashima's Post-War Japan brings you Tales of Ginza. Direct from Rotterdam comes Maggie, which is a South Korean film from 2018. And Indigenous Shorts from Sundance Institute brings you Fainting Spells from 2018 as well. This is the greatest source of the obscure and the classic on the internet. And of course, by only giving you 30 films at a time, it helps you to avoid the shock and terror that comes with opening up most streaming apps. Which is a real thing, which happens to me all the time. Uh, I uh, I went on Hulu. I heard there was some good stuff on Hulu. And instead, I'm just watching Justified again. <laughs> How does this happen? <laughs> I don't know. But I'm now on the second season of Justified. So if you want to watch a movie, if you want to know that it's going to be great, get movie. You can get a 30-day free trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that number, that website is mu bi.com slash film stage emily started watching golden girls from the beginning and she's already like she's like 12 episodes in in like two days <laughs> oh my god how many seasons of golden girls are there oh there's there's probably a lot i'm that's gonna one say of those, seven that's one of those shows it apparently yeah it apparently went from 85 to 92 
Yeah. I am. Um, that's one of those shows that I've just kind of like, I don't know, like, you know, were, were there 20 seasons or were there only five? But I just <laughs> they're in syndication so much that it feels like they're everywhere. Sure. It's hard to know. And again, that is MUBI.com slash film stage. And that is that. We are here again, as I said, to talk about the new film, Color Out of Space. This movie, written and directed by Richard Stanley, who may be best known for the movie that he didn't make more than any of the movies that he did. Uh, we will get into that. Uh, this movie, again, stars Nicolas Cage and Jolie Richardson. And it is out now for your viewing pleasure. And uh, we're going to talk about it right after we play the trailer. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. All right, that is the trailer for Color Out of Space, a movie that can most succinctly be described as a series of bad events happening to a family after a meteorite crashes on their land. This movie is based on uh, one of the more well-known, more anthologized stories by weird fiction writer H.P. Lovecraft. And again, is directed by Richard Stanley, who many may know. The, the Outsider is probably the biggest Lovecraft story. Do you think that's fair to say? I would I would say uh, I don't know about reading. Like, you know, if people read his stories, I know that he is probably most famous for Cthulhu. Sure, sure. But I know that uh, The Outsider is is one of his, his better known ones. I think that was ad- adapted as Castle Freak. Stuart yeah. Gordon. Here's the thing that we're going to have to talk about a lot is that most Lovecraft adaptations are god awful. Just <laughs> so bad. Um lucky for us I have read almost all of Lovecraft stories at least once. Oh and, nice. Uh, I'll be able to give uh, a lot of context to stuff there. Um Richard Stanley was the subject of the documentary Lost Souls which documents how he failed to make the Island of Dr. Moreau. It's a kind of a horror movie in and of itself uh, about how Hollywood and stardom can basically destroy a man who wants to do something new and interesting. Yes. Yes. All right. So yep. we are here to talk about Color Out of Space. Uh, this will be, I believe, an expansive dialogue folding in a lot of stuff. So I'm excited for it. But let's start off, of course, as always, with our nutshell reviews, what we thought about this movie in a spoiler free sense. So let us begin with Michael Snydell. Yeah, this is this is pretty interesting in the sense that, you know, we do uh, Lovecraft is like as Brian has kind of previously intimated. I mean, like it's even if it's not a direct adaptation and I I have to admit the as far as film adaptations, Reanimator's the one that I especially know um, and love, honestly. But um, I Lovecraft is someone who I'm like definitely familiar with, even if just the sense that like cosmic horror and eldritch horror has just like literally invaded every crevice of pop culture. <laughs> so it's it's nearly impossible to not in some way see things that are 
uh, influenced by Lovecraft. So I, I think that this is so interesting in the sense that um, it is incredibly it's, it's an, it's odd because it is incredibly predictable and incredibly schematic in terms of how it moves and its pacing and everything. And just this, this constant escalation with brief breathing moments. Um, but I think what is so interesting about it is this thing really, really commits to this like unknowable texture and in the same way the short story, you know, tries to get across this idea of even like, uh, uh, you know, best uh, epitomized in the, in the line that a, a color that can only exist or, or excuse me, a color can that can only be described as an allegory to color. Um, like we're really dealing with some some really difficult things to um, conceive of in a film. And I think this film um, really, again, commits to that energy. And um, I mean, very early on things are off and he, Stanley makes an interesting choice. The, um, the script by uh, Stanley and Scarlett Amaris, it's, it's definitely has some affectations. It's it's a little awkward at times. It, it's there are quotes from the story kind of pigeonholed a bit. Um, so at times it's a little bit of a sketchy film, but I think it, it it's so it's I was really surprised how uneasy I felt during almost the entire runtime of this movie. Like it really has some very creepy images and even some weird stuff with like CG and practical effects that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, feels like some uncanny Valley stuff, but feels also very aware of that. Um, and, and, you know, f- you know, everybody's kind of comparing this to the latest Nicolas Cage thing, uh, the latest Nicolas Cage oddball performance. I personally love Nicolas Cage and I, I really love the way that he's kind of mining more melancholy things. This in particular feels like a, uh, in the vein of mom and dad, which I actually quite liked, um, I, or I specifically quite liked Nicolas Cage's performance. And I think here, he um it's the first time i feel like he's felt old like he's really haggard in this and i think it's a a really uh impressive performance again i'm not sure this thing like holds together and we'll talk more about it but like i wish all indie horror felt this ambitious and like genuinely unnerving all right bill graham yeah um i didn't much care for this film all that uh, to be honest um i think that there's certainly a lot that it's going for um i think its budget constrictions are are pretty plain and obvious um much of the film basically takes place in one location um and i think some of the body horror that it ends up trying to go for ends up sometimes like uh almost thrown away at the end um or it just tries to 
I guess uh, I don't want to say Amblin, but like uh, some of that generation's like horror films that always kind of lead you to waiting and waiting and waiting for this kind of monstrous reveal. And there is one sequence that was pretty thrilling, but towards for a lot of this film, I, I felt that it knew that it could not put onto the screen what it was trying to kind of get at. And of course, I mean, if you know anything about Cthulhu and you know anything about Lovecraft, um, you know that like his monsters are typically just indescribable in a lot of ways. Um, they're not supposed to be like looked at. Like, you know, uh, Cthulhu is, if I'm not mistaken, basically if you look at it, you die. Um, it's more like and- most of his monsters are. You don't die. A big theme in his in his horror fiction, which we could get into in deeper detail later, is you will go mad and there's no literal way to describe anything that you see. And so you just basically end up stammering out a bunch of nonsense while you tear your hair out. And then probably if you are like the narrator, kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in some way he is like created unadaptable <laughs> short story. Yeah. Almost all of his then shit. You have to create that kind of, that kind of horrific monster or creature or thing in a visual medium. Yes. Right. Which and is how like, many okay, of these things now. fail. Yes. Um, and I feel like there are some sequences that really nail it. And, but there's a lot of sequences that I feel like, um, yeah, just leave something to desired to be desired. Um, I think their performances are actually quite good. Um, and I'm really curious about that. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, this film is going to be more interesting to discuss than I think it was to actually write. Um, I think f- I'm sorry. Do you mean watch? Yeah. Sorry. What did I say? Right? <laughs> you said right, which I was like, yeah, okay. don't don't put your feelings on the writers of this movie. <laughs> um yeah, I uh I don't know. I'm I'm curious to hear what y'all think and, and how y'all uh take to it. Um Richard Stanley, obviously we kind of mentioned a little bit, um, if I'm not mistaken, about uh Lost Souls, and he's certainly a uh, a director that you want to root for, uh if you kind of uh take a look into his history uh but oh no i i i don't know if there's a big audience or not not a big audience or if this is going to satisfy uh some of the audiences that it finds but uh it is interesting to put in another peg of the (laughs) ever-growing nicholas cage performances where uh he shouts and goes mad as you obviously would you know, would expect. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's like, um, I think this and Mandy are like people being like, what would make a person act like Nicholas Cage? <laughs> well, if, if we there's, make a movie where his Nicholas Cagedness makes there's, sense. There's a point. And, and I wonder, I, I, I'll, I'll wait until later on to hear y'all's take, but there's definitely a weird voice thing going on that Nicolas Cage puts on yes. that <laughs> reminded me a lot of a, uh, I will say a orange haired uh, president. 
oh really i thought it was um it he he affects at certain points what sounds like his uh accent from a vampire's kiss yeah i don't remember i I, okay i didn't well now i'm gonna have to play that clip of him saying the alphabet in that movie (laughs) just to prove my point Bill, I, I got that too. You're not alone on that. One. Okay, I was like, I was like, is this an impression? I don't know what's going on right now. This is wild. So yeah, uh, right. to bring it back at this point in time seems very relevant. <laughs> uh, I have a question before we begin. Uh, do we have Scout on the line? Yes, we do. How you doing? What is up? Hey, Scout. <laughs> I was looking, hey, how you doing? I was looking for a place to jump in and I couldn't find an organic one. <laughs> well, luckily we're still at the point where it's just like going one by one with all of our thoughts and feelings and opinions. Oh, thank heavens. So yeah, um, good to have you here. Uh, from out of the clear blue sky into our, our farmland, drops Scout to Foya. I from am out of space? The color, I am the color from out of space. Um, yes. I, I'd say it's purple. What do y'all think? It's a pinkish purple. I think when it, just to begin, you know, uh, Scout, I have a question. Have you read any Lovecraft? Are you familiar at least with this story? I have read an embarrassing amount of Lovecraft. Okay, great. So have I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, I discovered him uh, in in college, really. I mean, I'd known about him forever because uh, as a fan of zombie movies, I had tracked down an adaptation of his story, uh, Cool Air or Cold Air. I don't uh, remember exactly which one it is, oh, but yeah. um, and discovered that there was a a small and bizarrely committed cottage industry of homemade H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. <laughs> the, the short Cold Air was on a three DVD set of short films made by amateurs, um, oh. just people adapting their favorite H.P. Lovecraft stories for a couple of bucks in their spare time. And uh, so naturally, I was curious what kind of an author would have this effect on people that essentially turned ordinary readers into Civil War reenactors. Uh, <laughs> so I sought out the uh, Joyce Carol Oates edited edition of her favorite uh, uh, Lovecraft stories. And I think if you pile Joyce Carol Oates and H.P. Lovecraft on top of each other, it's a perfect pile of canceled people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> naturally i loved it and couldn't stop reading it um and uh, i have uh, i've just been in love with his depiction of madness and contamination ever since uh, naturally he's uh, you know not not the easiest guy to uh, stump for in 2020 <laughs> right but, no it's you know his uh, yeah i mean we could get into it a lot of his fiction is um openly racist, racist. <laughs> yeah it's all Um, about like corruption of bloodlines and foreigners and uh is there there are some that come up to the edge of like oh was he is he about to become woke and then it's like oh no lovecraft lovecraft never got woke no Um, he did he did i think the the only the only even shred of wokeness in his whole uh uh canon is the idea of uh sort of perverted incestuous aristocrats growing into sort of ape-like proto-sapiens as their bloodlines get more and more uh, as they overlap more and sisters keep sleeping with brothers and things like that. So at bottom, he seemed to know that 
a whites only future wasn't uh, gonna cut it. Okay, but, but uh, yeah, and that's the funny thing is that you'd almost say like, oh, well, he hated he hated like uh you know people of color. No, he hated a shit ton of white people too, because Lovecraft came up during the time when not all white people were white people. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, no, yeah, he hated he hated everybody. Not to take away from the racism, which is uh, mighty. But, uh, <laughs> but this, yeah, but it's back in that time when like, you know, there's there's races like there's the Anglos, which are the good people. And then there's the Irish, the Italians, the Poles, the Germans and all those other people, which are just one step above everyone who doesn't complect as a white person. Like this, this, uh, this short story, The Color Out of Space, talks about how this valley has been abandoned. And he's like. You know, the foreigners tried it and they've all left, you know, the poles. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, we're just hunting. Poles. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, he, you, you were very right about him being like, you know, one of the more canceled people. There was a prestigious horror or science fiction award that used to like give out a bust of his head. And then they were like, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe. Want that in your home anyway. It'd be like. Having a He's fucking got a weird face. Spot. If you've ever seen a picture of him. I mean, he, he made up. The you know the horror over uh yeah the 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 shadow over Innsmouth is one of his most famous stories, and it's about like a, a fish frog people who interbreed with uh, this town, um, and it has something called the Innsmouth look, which is like flat faces, protuberant eyes, gross lips, and it's like oh he was a self hating man because he just described himself it's pretty self. hard. Yeah, um, he yeah Lovecraft, I, and it's always the case, of course. The people who believe uh, most strongly in the purity of white people look like they were coughed up from a sewer. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, uh, it's Love- not the Chris Pines of the world who are like, you know, white people are pretty great. And you look at him and you're like, I don't know, Chris, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we're canceled. Damn it. <laughs> Do all men look like you? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you told me there was an entire country of Chris Pines, I'd be like, I mean, that has to be the best place, right? It's it's amazing. <laughs> and they all they all just walk around and they like they're constantly holding doors for each other and uh, <laughs> just the sweetest people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a nation of beautiful people. I love how we've become overtly racist in our love of Chris Pine. <laughs> Uh, listen, it's racist to end of sentence. <laughs> but so, okay, so now that we have a little bit of background on your 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 knowledge of Lovecraft, actually, you know, just talking about the ways that we learned about Lovecraft, because I feel like, you know, he, he loves to write about esoteric knowledge, um, the occult and things like that. And I feel as though he himself has become a kind of esoteric knowledge. Like, you don't learn about Lovecraft in school. You know, he's not like, um, like we said, most of the movies about him or his works are very small and often not very good. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, oh, you know, I saw the the film adaptation of Little Women and now I'm going to go read Louisa May Alcott. It's like, I saw this horrible fucking movie and I will not be reading the story it's based on. It's, so you, it's, awesome. it's awesome to think about how many times they've tried to adapt and they only ever pick a couple. It's They don't ever wrestle mostly like with Cthulhu, except in the case of that great uh, fake silent film, um, which I believe is called The Call of Cthulhu. Yes. Mostly it's all, it's all stuff they could do for about $8. There's one set and like a couple of names in the cast and and that's that's about it i mean uh, did, uh what's his name da- uh, uh david keith who was sort of the oh. patrick swayze of b movies he mm, directed yeah. an adaptation of color out of space starring 
Claude Aikens, of all people, mm -hmm. in 1988, 1987, thereabouts. Um, and it's just such a miserable, grotesque little movie. And that's really all Lovecraft got for a long time were miserable, grotesque little movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I, so, so my, my coming to Lovecraft is so circuitous as to be a nonsensical. A friend and I, and this is going to couch my age pretty hard, we're figuring out what we should, like, our, our AIM screen names should be. Oh, oh Brian. And we had we had a desktop book that was just a book of movies with reviews, like, you know, star ratings and like a two line review. And it might have been like Leonard Maltins or something. I don't know. But so <laughs> what we did was we found a random number generator on the proto Internet and we would, you know, ask it to come up with a number and then we would go to that page and we had to pick one. A screen name that was based on a movie that was on that page. So my friend Tony Griffo got uh, the bees and his, his he found Bambi and he was like, I'm going to be called Bambi is worm food. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, that makes sense, I guess. But it's really Bambi's mom. But I guess Bambi would probably be dead by now. But I got one that was in the L's and I got I was looking around. I'm like, this is a this is, it's like L.U. And I'm like, there's a lot of shit here. And one of them was called Lurking Fear. I was oh, like, sure. oh. That's cool. I'll be I'll be, you know, XX lurking fear XX or whatever the fuck because it's aim. And then I read the review and it was like, you know, adaptation of Lovecraft story blah blah blah, you know, family cannibals bullshit whatever, it sucks. And I was like, "Huh, interesting." And then I was reading a, a Neil Gaiman novel because I was a little nerd and he name checked Lovecraft and I was like, oh, that's the guy that my AAM screen name is all about. <laughs> and so I finally looked him up, bought a bought a thing of his short stories and was deeply disappointed at first because I was like, this is not what I'm used to reading. And it's it's not oh. a novel. It's just short stories. And at that point, I was an idiot who thought that short stories were a terrible form of fiction. <laughs> but after reading a couple, I was like, there's something about this guy's like atmospheric studies and and his word choice and just the the mood that he conjures and i fell in love with it and i still read a bunch of his stuff just randomly because i'm like you know what i need right now i need a 14 paragraph long description of a weird tree in the <laughs> new england countryside <laughs> and that's yeah. that's what he's great at and that's why a lot of the movies on his stuff fail because he does with his words and his cadence like conjure a mood that in a movie would be a single shot and then yes. you're like okay but what's the rest of it and it's like well the story's about a man who heard a story from a man who heard a story from a man whose father <laughs> right. went insane because he saw a sure. fish creature it's like oh so we're like 14 steps removed from the narrative like the call of cthulhu is legitimately like an epistolary of like yeah. five different anecdotes and evidentiary pieces that come together to form a picture of something awful but like you can't it doesn't have a protagonist really it's just this guy <laughs> whose father died and who's going through all of his shit yeah yeah it's it's uh he he he, he was very very good at forming the boundaries of whatever thing he was talking about even through these just these thickets of adjectives you still got the strange sense of the uh, shape of whatever thing he was describing. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a, I have a quote here from Luke Sant, who wrote about Lovecraft um, uh, a couple of years back, 
And he says, Lovecraft's work is essentially unfilmable, not because his special effects are too gaudy or too expensive to translate to the screen, as we saw, mm-hmm. but because they are purely literary. Lovecraft was bookish yeah. in an extreme, almost parodistic way. He may not have worn a fez or been able to afford a wing chair, but he assumed the archetype of the 19th century man of letters. <laughs> Yeah, like most of his heroes are like, oh, this professor who's 60 years old and has a specialized knowledge of the Necronomicon and like, (laughs) you know, the writings of some like crazed madman. Wait, do you have that boring text that was old when Atlantis was swallowed by the Atlantic? Well, yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) By the mad Arab Azrael El-Hazred or whatever his name is. That's right. Yep. Are you are you saying Stuart Gordon is not a fox and a reanimator? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> it's very rare that he has a handsome protagonist or character <laughs> at all, because uh, a lot of his a lot of his stuff is like, ah, uh, yes, this inbred family who's lived in New England since before the Revolution. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Who would have thought that they were witch cursed and evil? <laughs> Or they've turned to white apes that roam the land eating gypsies. Yeah, which is a real plot. <laughs> Again, from my uh, my screen name, lurking That's fear. right. Lurking um, fear. When I when I started a, a film website uh, way back in the day after college, I, I decided that October I was going to commit myself to nothing but Lovecraft adaptations. God, that was a. It was a bleak time in my life, and and it it really did drive home for me the fact that like you can't do that it's just not possible um there was an adaptation of the dunwich horror with yep. uh dean stockwell of all people actually there's two with dean stockwell do you know that they remade it in 2007 with jeffrey combs as Wilbur are, the goat man i don't, don't want to break in on this this is lovely <laughs> but are we going to talk about this movie yes well actually I, wa- I wanted to get back to that and so like so um for my own personal like interest in this movie and one of the reasons why i was like we have to talk about this even though it's like technically still award season is that like in addition to having seen so many terrible things including this, this awful adaptation of dunwich horror which is one of the only ones that has like a spine of like we must stop this terrible thing that seemingly could be brought into something mm-hmm. the color out of space is such a it literally they they say like oh it's a color that no human eye had ever seen before and then over the course of a year and a half, it basically just killed this family. Um, and uh, and this movie, I was like, so how are they going to adapt that? And then also Richard Stanley's back. The man uh, who, yeah. who was driven insane by uh, Martin Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer and then uh, <laughs> ran away to a, a commune in France. And he's back and he did this story as a movie. And so I was deeply, deeply curious to see what he would do. So, uh. Scout, now that you've joined uh, apparently us. Apparently the first of three Lovecraft adaptations. Oh, we're going to talk about that, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Super excited for that. So, Scout, you saw this movie. What were your uh, basic thoughts on it? Okay, so I'll start by um, saying that uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, my friend John Semley, saw it and uh, described it as um, an imitation of Stuart Gordon on CBD oil. And what... <laughs> I do absolutely see that, and I think that ultimately Stanley is a very, very gifted pastiche artist who I don't believe has yet found out what he wants to say, but he's very good, like Lovecraft, at sort of leaving you in a lingering image or feeling of something horrendous. Um, Stanley famously was sued um, over stealing the idea for his debut film, Hardware, 
And then Dust Devil is sort of uh, a lot more uh, 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 stolen or secondhand uh, reference points that sort of form a semi-coherent whole. Um, again, still very atmospheric and still very uh, uh, haunting, but uh, hardly Isn't the most... There the- a whole spaghetti western homage in that too yes that's right it's he's like a robot and he's a cowboy it's uh yeah it's a lot of stuff you've seen before in not quite the handsome shape he puts it in um and then so seeing this again it was like okay your strengths are clearly all in the visual and the atmospheric um you still don't appear to have much in the way to say as an artist other than here's all this beautiful occult nonsense um but having said all that, I had a lovely time. Um, and despite the Nicolas Cage uh, relapse into the weird Trump uh, thing, uh, I found his performance very affecting. And uh, uh, same with the rest of the cast. I thought it was a very qualified, perhaps overqualified cast doing great work <laughs> in an extremely strange film that goes from sort of psychedelic oddity into John Carpenter's The Thing uh, homage. And it was, uh, yeah, it was very, it was very charismatic. Um, and I, and I overall, I think have a positive impression of it. Yeah. I, um, maybe again, it, I, I found myself quite enjoying this movie for so many reasons. And I think if you haven't seen Lost Souls, um, the doomed. Oh yeah. I, um, it's, it's got such a long subtitle. Yeah. Um, the, the something of, uh, Richard Stanley on the set of Island of Dr. The Moreau. Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, yeah it gives you an idea of who this man is as an artist that I think actually helped to, to calcify my admiration for this movie. Um, the, the whole like first half of that movie is just Stanley talking about his, his history with the Island of Dr. Moreau and all the crazy ideas that he had for his movie, including concept art sketches and stuff that are just, batty in the coolest way possible and after seeing this movie i went out and uh started looking up at uh interviews that he'd done recently about this movie and apparently he is trying to make an island of dr moreau graphic novel which i cannot wait for because some of the things that you see in uh lost souls is is just amazing it's there's there's like a parliament of buzzards there's uh, uh, dogmen as nurses in a in a place, and uh, just like so so freaking weird. Wait, where's and- the weird stuff? That sounds pretty normal. <laughs> That's just how Michael Snydell sees the world. <laughs> and um, Michael Snydell had a psychotic break two years ago, and we have not asked him to confront it in any way. Um, and so and and also you you hear about his like upbringing with, with like his mother who had some like neo-pagan aspects of her I think he said and and then you know like I said he went and lived in a commune in France and knowing that background I think makes this movie a lot more interesting in the way that it folds um a lot of his his like pet themes in He's got this group of people who've escaped the city to try to live this life. Um, the daughter is a Wiccan and is like practicing. And yeah. there's like the concept of the mother having just gotten done battling breast cancer. Um, Handled in like a really uh, gentle, subtle way too. Yeah. Like I was kind of impressed how they ingrained that in the script. It's I agree. Very- 
their movie in a lot of ways. It's uh, the real affection between them and the way that they all treat her yeah. in illness. It was rather affecting in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and yeah. The, the kids can be shitty, but kids can be shitty. And at the end of the day, like they really, they really like each other. The, the concern that you see between these people is, I think, the the greatest horror in this movie. There's obviously a lot yeah. of weird shit that happens, but the affection that they have and the way that that affection is 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 wrought um, and uh, kind of twisted by the the events that go on is where most of the distress and the unsettling nature of this movie comes from. I also just found it very interesting is this idea of the affluent upper middle class family attempting to get back to nature and failing very hard. <laughs> just like <laughs> this concept of like, you cannot go to this place that you don't know if you don't have respect for it. I was obsessed with the fact that uh, Nicholas Cage's uh, Nathan uh, apparently bought a small flock herd, I guess a herd Sorry. of alpacas. Which I I then did too much research on the alpaca bubble that happened in America. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> so I, you know, Michael, do you even look at the Slack? I sent out like two articles about alpacas. So yeah. here's what happened. Definitely a thing. Definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, they were called the, the investment bubble. that you can hug. That's what happened what? basically was that um, people, for whatever reason, believed that alpacas would be the next great cash crop in America. Um, they, you it's know, going to be succession season three is what you're saying. Yes. Instead of buying <laughs> Valter, he's going to buy alpacas. Yes. <laughs> so the funny thing is, I think that there is a hilarious, almost like goofy, big short style movie uh, to be made about the alpaca bubble. It's almost like the Beanie Baby thing where like, People were like, you can buy alpacas and you can raise alpacas. And people were like, well, why would I do that? And it's like, well, their fiber is what they call like the wool. You know, you you get that and then, you know, people are going to want alpacas. They're going to want alpaca stuff. And people believed that so hard that they started buying alpacas and breeding alpacas. And you could sell a particular kind of alpaca or like a particularly beautiful alpaca, you know, for a lot of money because it was illegal to import new alpacas from Peru. The issue was that we in America had no means of processing the alpaca fiber into actually workable textiles. But people kept saying like, well, we're buying so many alpacas. People got to at some point start creating the machinery for us to turn these things into sweaters. So they just kept buying them on the speculation that one day the alpaca market would boom and the the thing that was raising all the money was the creature itself and not the product that it could possibly create. And uh, like the Beanie Babies, it was like this concept of demand that had no actual actual uh, product to create. So um, people sunk like retirement savings stuff into owning alpacas. And then one day someone was like, hey, guys, like even if literally everyone in America bought an alpaca sweater tomorrow, you will still not make your money back. And so now there's like people with herds of alpacas who can't even afford to feed them who um specific are just, symbol of failure. Yeah. It is it is this it is this very suburban white affluent concept of being a farmer. And so seeing that Stanley was like what I got to do is I got to give this guy a giant herd of alpacas and have him seemingly equally clueless as to what to do with them 
uh, because at some point he talks about their meat and, uh, you know, shearing <laughs> them and stuff. It's, you know, it's, 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 yeah. uh, it's very weird. It's very weird. And that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, that is definitely a Stanley touch. And I know he co-wrote this with uh, Scarlett Amaris, I think. Yes. And um, but like, it's just it. you can just feel his like pet concerns in this film. And so it becomes, even though I would say it's a little uneven in places and there are times when I think Cage could have been reined in a bit. It becomes oh, for sure. this very interesting, very weird just artifact. And I, I'm I'm actually very interested to see where this man who clearly has a respect for and understanding of like the, the esoteric and the occult goes with the other Lovecraft adaptations that he claims he wants to do. I think that was probably the thing that made it most enjoyable for me was knowing how much stock he really puts in the occult and also how much stock Nicolas Cage puts into it. And so I think if the film goes off the rails and Cage's performance especially goes off the rails, I think it's the uh, the product of two excitable people egging each other on the entire time and just <laughs> yeah. never telling the other person to like slow down and take a breath. I think it's I think it's fascinating too is like for instance how much the hydrologist Ward is a character. Yes. Like, like, yep. like that is almost I mean maybe that's a misstep honestly because he very much does have this like teen soap energy that I that I was fine with but did kind of feel a little out of place but like I, he really takes like the uh, him being a hydrologist him going to see Ezra continually like these like subplots that seem like they take very little space in the actual script that they mm. seem to be taken very seriously in, in a way that's uh, yeah in, in a way that's like uh, very surprising and I, I, again like I, I Scott I, you didn't hear the first thing I said but I just I I'm amazed with with how much this thing commits for uh, sure and and doesn't uh, pull back either. I mean, even when the budget, I think, doesn't allow for some of the things no. that they're attempting to suggest, it really does bite down on every idea that it has, you know, commits to finding a logical endpoint for everything that it introduces, with the exception, I suppose, of Korianka uh, Kilcher as the developer. Um, Which we need but, to spend 20 minutes about the fact that <laughs> I feel like I haven't seen Korianka Kilcher <laughs> since the New World, and she showed up in this movie. She has had a very... Very troubling career path since the New World. She was in a made-for-TV Peter Pan that they made for sci-fi, playing Tiger Lily. It's extremely bad. It's one of Bob Hoskins' last movies. I'll never not be sad about that. I know. It's it's bad. Then she was in uh, the movie Unnatural, uh, in which I want to say James Remar comes in contact with mutant polar bears. Um, And now she's in this. It's been a long, strange ride for (laughs) Corianka. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, cause she, she, I mean, I don't know. I love the new world. So maybe I'm just like, uh, in the bag for everything in person in it, but like, she's freaking luminous in that movie. And I was like, this is a star. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, looking through, I just, I do not know if she was apparently in sons of anarchy. Um, I don't know about that. I never watched that show. (laughs) Uh, she was apparently in the hostels, which I, probably should see at some point because i i have faith in scott cooper and i like westerns oh yeah that's a good movie oh okay so there we go um and the alienist which i did not see and she's in something called yellowstone i mean 
That's the the Kevin Costner one. The Kevin Costner like Paramount TV network. Oh, one. Yeah. oh my god, it's on its third season? <laughs> <laughs> this keeps happening to me. I was in a yep, bar crazy. and there was a show on and like the title card came up and I was like, this is called Bull? <laughs> what is this nonsense? And I would looked it up and I was like, this has been on for five years? <laughs> Isn't the star of that show kind of a creep? Yeah, he apparently like was a real like he got me too like the second day and it's still on or something. Jesus Christ. Anyway, back to unfathomable <laughs> horror. Um more about bull. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this this movie, I, you know, I again, I heard about it. I I feel like I heard about it first when it was going to premiere at TIFF. And it was just like this perfect storm of shit that I am interested in. Mm. Even though I had never, apparently, because I have seen The Island of Dr. Moreau, it is a terrible movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I, like I've never seen a Richard Stanley movie. Um, I've only seen that, that uh, documentary about him. But you walk out of that documentary and you're like, maybe this guy wasn't ready for The Island of Dr. Moreau. But he's clearly got ideas and it's sort of sad that like... He, he he exploded so spectacularly because I think it would be interesting to see a movie that he would make with like some kind of, you know, budget behind it and, and all this stuff. And having seen this, I'm like, yeah, no, this makes sense. And I feel like I don't know that we will ever get the kind of adaptation that Lovecraft would need. I almost feel like you would need to talk Terrence Malick into doing it because I, he's, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, because he's a man who's just deeply uninterested in the narrative as a plot by plot thing, but would very sure. much probably love to to look at some real dark looking trees <laughs> and, you know, build up a, an atmosphere of horror. I mean, like a lot of Lovecraft's best stories, I, I reread simply because, again, I love the words that he chooses. I love the way that he evokes things. It's um, it's very it, he, he you can almost hear him trembling as he writes it. And I, I, think... I, yeah, oh, go ahead, I have Michael. to say, Brian, uh, as this was like my first Lovecraft, um, you know, reading, reading, uh, sorry, reading Color of Space, <laughs> Color <laughs> Out of Space, um, I was, uh, I have to say, I was kind of surprised how almost uh, technical the writing was in terms of how much he wanted to get into the detail of the minerals for instance mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it, it just i mean i know you already said 16 paragraphs about a, a a tree in new england but like i i really was not expecting it to be so uh so so kind of um like extrapolating off these like surfaces and these different materials like the what the storytelling isn't very standard at all like it, it's very much like starts with the you know the material and how it's contaminated but then it's like then it just goes into matter of fact things like oh you know thaddeus kind of lost his mind he was able to walk around the house for as long as he uh, you know, as long as he wasn't harming anyone until he started scaring people. <laughs> and then they <laughs> locked him in the attic. Like, it's it's so... I, I mean, you already spoke about the epistolary nature of Cult Cthulhu, but I, I think I was just expecting some more... Uh, 
get, you know, some more like thrilling construct to it. <laughs> no, that's not his style. He loves, he loves, he, he, he is super academic, not in so yes. far as he's like, and then he went mad, you see, but more like, <laughs> let me spend a long time explaining exactly how fucking weird this rock was. Okay. <laughs> they bathed it in acid and nothing happened to it. Okay. The spectrometer, you've never seen light like this before. It's so weird. It was plasticky, but magnetic. And, um, and then he's like, and then the rabbits, oh God, the rabbits were, they <laughs> looped and they had strange bodies. Okay. And then, yeah, sure. The wife went crazy. <laughs> She started screaming. They locked her in the attic. He like isn't disinterested in the humans, but he's almost like, I don't have like, I'm just going to be very terse about what's going on with them because I've already explained to you how weird what's going on is on like a biochemical level. So you're probably going to understand that like there's a lot of shit going on. Like it's just bad. Here's Luke Sant again. In other words, he was a nerd. He was a nerd on a grand scale. A heroic, pallid, translucent, Malarmian nerd. A nerd who suffered for his art. Um, I, I think that the the the, the thing that uh, Color Out of Space conveys, which I so love about the Lovecraft's idea, is Lovecraft was one of the first authors to take a sort of biblical view of evil, that essentially there were whole dimensions that would uh, contain unfathomable sites and we would occasionally glimpse their doors. And I like how Stanley communicates an entire ecosystem of madness growing on their property. Mm -hmm. The only thing I think that's sort of uh, feeble a little is the idea that they were just going to put water over it and that was going to somehow undo all of that space weirdness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's like the, that, and that this is where, this is where, um, the Lovecraftian convention of like the narrator who heard it from a guy who heard it from a guy who was maybe like nearby comes mm-hmm. in because the end of the, the story, the color out of space is this guy being like, and so they put a dam up. And so the, the blasted Heath is now under a reservoir. <laughs> I'm going to move South and uh, I'll <laughs> never drink the water there because maybe it'll be fine, but I don't know. Not not for me. And it's like, that's not even a guy who saw what happened. That's a guy who heard the story from a guy who was friends with the guy it happened to. <laughs> and it's that kind of like, you're four steps removed, but you still might end up taking your life because the new knowledge of the universe that you have is so unthinkable to you. Yes. Well, as Lovecraft himself wrote, the most charitable thing in the human mind is its inability to comprehend its contents. Um yeah, and, that's, uh, uh, that's the first line of the uh, Call of the C- Cthulhu. Cthulhu, that's right. Yep. Um, but I, I do think that is a, that's a good transition to talk about. I, I think that there is something to be said for, uh, you know, Stanley uh, outstripping his, uh, not only his budget, but his, like, he's throwing a lot of different ideas mm-hmm of you know manifested horror at at the wall here and and i think it's interesting you're talking about that like the that almost like academic sense of a dimension existing beyond like i think i think hellraiser for instance is really good at that um to bring up another lovecraftian um influence thing but i i think that it is this movie does feel a little bit lost in um, see, it's very weird to say this because I felt unease the entire movie, but I did 
very much feel like the climax was dragging, even though I was like chomping at the bit to see what was next. And I think that's fascinating that it moves from, you know, playing with the phone static to that. Uh, I, I particularly like that sequence where um, uh, Madeline Arthur uh, Lavinia's character is like just in front of the sink and can't mm. like, uh, you know, uh, can't stop this gagging <laughs> that she's feeling. <laughs> but but I, I think it, it is interesting that like, I, again, this runs the gamut of how they want to uh how they want to show that horror. Like Brian, you, you were talking especially about this, like, uh, you know, how do you show something that's meant to be unknowable? And, and mm-hmm. I think like, I think almost one of the best scenes oddly is um, when they go back to Ezra's after he died. Oh yeah. And uh, the reel to reel, is that what it is? Is yeah. doing the, yeah, the reel to reel is doing that terrifying voice. I, I mean, like, I think he calls it like the the meta memorax the memorax memorax yeah. Yeah. yeah he's like yeah. I gotta get it on the memorax man <laughs> which is great because <laughs> like, he's nobody definitely... nobody's gonna be able to use that man <laughs> he's definitely the kind of old dude who's still like yeah you know it memorax it's that's 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 the it's like his Xerox but it's like yeah this tape this memorax. <laughs> He's good in this, though. He is. He's very good. It's been a while since I've seen yeah. Tommy Chong like, like, not be a, a not only rely on the shtick. Or, or <laughs> I was about to say, don't you dare say not be a stoner, because he's definitely a fucking stoner. <laughs> no, but he doesn't lean too far back only on that. Like, I yeah. think that he it, he has the weird Tommy Chong's most hat. restrained <laughs> He, 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 he the, yeah. So I, I just had to look it up because it was driving me nuts because back in the day when I would burn CDs of stolen music for my friends for money, I used to use Memorex DVRs. Oh, sure. It's, and, they um, had the, the, the glass breaking was the logo and it said, is it real or is it Memorex? Yeah, that's I had to look it up because I was like, what was the stupid motto that they had? And it was, is it live or is it Memorex? Is it live? That's right. That's yeah. Right. So for anyone else who, like me, for some reason needed to know that... You're welcome. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think that you're the, 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 the degree of stuff that they got away with on what was, I mean, clearly a modest budget is pretty sure. impressive. I mean, the only time that it doesn't, that it's sort of uh, the ambition gets away from it is maybe the, uh, the praying mantis or the, uh, the, the one tree branch that abducts the sheriff. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting for me <clears throat> is that, um, the praying mantis actually made me think of. I was thinking of annihilation a bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I was thinking of uh, the mist. Ah, which I remember. I ha- when I saw that movie with friends, they were like, "I don't know, man. Like those bird things looked really fake, and so did the tentacle." But there's a level of unreality that I think makes things like that more off-putting. It, it's like they yes, want to more upsetting. Yeah, they want to like be like reaching up a gnarled hand from the uncanny valley, you know, so it almost feels like it comes from a place where maybe time moves differently or like space and gravity are different. Like, uh, I don't know. Like the a lot Mist of... ha- only had an 18 million budget. Which I is, was curious I mean, to check that out. That's that, that's pretty good for 18 million dollars. Yeah, that's really good for 18 million. And made almost 60 as well. Wait, People this love made to be bummed 60? out at the movies. 
Well, I, I guarantee you more people have purchased that than $60 million too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. I, so like I saw that and I was like, well, that's clearly fake, but like, isn't everything that is happening to them now, like some level <laughs> of fake, like I, when I see something that looks too good, it almost becomes like my brain switches off. Um, it happens a lot during like big budget action movies. Mm. where it's like we have to fight this space demon and it's like there and it looks all shiny and and like a i don't know what's the word i'm looking for like a like a like a playstation 2 type of thing where it's just like they weren't they wanted everything to look really nice and they didn't want to dirty it up like i remember hating peter jackson's king kong but i really liked the damage and dirt that he put onto like the t-rex Sure. Like the broken tooth and the scars and stuff and, and just the strangeness of it, because I felt like that was the type of tactility that's missing a lot when people are like, I want to make a really cool looking creature and I want it to look like it just came out of the box. No one says <laughs> Peter Jackson's films aren't lived in. Yes. Careworn. Careworn. Yeah. That's a great word for it. Yeah. And um, it's that same kind of thing where it's like, I see that creature and i think that the fact that i can almost feel the artist counting the pennies that he can use to animate it <laughs> and therefore like giving it like twitchy motions and like making it almost feel it's like a, one step removed like you're glimpsing it through a veil into another dimension sure. like i really liked that well that's that's this is i this was obviously gonna come off guys but we are the three who didn't like mandy <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yeah. I like it at all. <laughs> oh, you didn't scout? No, I did not. Yeah, all right, no. the four who didn't like Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it is fascinating the ways this film seems to in some ways be it, Well, they were both produced by in conversation. Daniel Noah, so Yeah. So yeah. There's a, there's a there's a similar pedigree. But the production design, the the ways of envisioning, you know, maybe not cosmic horror, but this this possibility of a beyond and stuff. It, it seems like both of these films took, uh, like, you know, very much pushed up against their their yes. budget and pushed up against their limitations. I, I mm -hmm. mean, I, I mean, as much as you're talking about, uh, Brian, the shininess of, like, expensive, big-budget CG – the, the CG here does feel like it, it feels very obviously artificial. Like it, it's not, uh, you know, it, it does obviously have that certain practical, <laughs> you, you know, almost like vinyl, <laughs> yes, vinyl yes. like pleasingness to it. Yeah. But it's still well. They do they do the practical yeah. when it counts, like the you know the great you know the llama thing at the end. Yes. I'm and sorry, they are the alpacas, sir. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the investment you can hug. Come on. Look, I didn't come here to be insulted by an alpaca expert. <laughs> <laughs> That's why everyone comes on this podcast. What are you talking about? Uh, weird yeah. show. <laughs> um but that's, you know, that obviously them going for the Rob Bottin, John Carpenter uh, practical vibe there. I like the degree to which the gore piles up um, as Lavinia sort of performs more strange ritual on her body to get herself out of a situation. 
Um, and I like too that the more that you see those things and the more that, you know, the, the fake blood stays on people's skin and stuff like that, the more of a sense you get of the, uh, escalating awfulness of every situation and, and what they've been through. Like it really, you know, the, the, the blood stains matter when you're tallying that up. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't expecting the Jolie Richardson, uh, yeah, the, the creature, the, the boy. Yeah. Julian Heller. Are, are we full on into spoilers at this point? Uh, yeah, I, let's just say I we're in spoilers. We jumped. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. We're just too I, I excited. Was like, I was like, what is going on right now? <laughs> we're just like, oh man, this movie, this movie, we just got to roll with it. I feel almost like people should expect that if you've been listening to a podcast for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but the alpaca enthusiasts uh, turned in only for that, Brian. So <laughs> how do we keep them? <laughs> Which They're happened long. around the 45 minute mark before we finished our, our individual reviews. <laughs> I will. I'm going to actually append a 20 minute, you know, this uh, American <laughs> lifestyle monologue about alpaca farming to the beginning of this. Oh, br- you mean okay. at the end? Wait, no, I need the to ask. God, don't. No, don't do that. <laughs> Does don't, the alpaca milk taste different, Brian? Did you do research on this? So that was the funny thing is that like people <laughs> were like, we could still make this work. What if we milk them? Like, what if people eat their flesh? And it was just I, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine that adding fennel makes the milk taste good. <laughs> like that, like okay, maybe you get a higher yield, but what is what is the yield taste like? Well, like, here's... does it taste like fennel? Because I don't want my milk to taste like fennel. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. I I've personally, like, if I'm about to drink something called milk, I don't want it to taste like fennel. Um, I don't know, because, like, uh, the I don't know the best way to put this. When you have a child, if you are breastfeeding, they kind of tell you, like, the, the baby's going to get nutrients, obviously, so whatever you eat, you know, try to make sure it's balanced, but also, like, flavor. So if you have a lot of, like, spicy stuff, your kid might be more of, like, a heat seeker growing up. So, like, maybe the fennel would do something, or maybe Nicolas Cage is just nuts. Like, there there was such a weird, almost like, this is the second movie I've seen in three years where a, a crazy older man tries to intimidate a younger person by madly drinking the milk of a weird animal. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what that was all about. I think I read uh, an interview with Richard Stanley where he said that it had something to do with like post-colonial attitudes of white people towards people of color. And I was like, OK, Richard, I'm huh? just going to take your word for it. <laughs> I, have I no just other love how he had a ladle. <laughs> like he had the ladle <laughs> drinking the milk. It's very weird. As you do. As you do. You got to have your your (laughs) ladle for your milk. I don't know. But that was, yeah, like people were like, I got these flipping alpacas and the only thing they were good for was making more alpacas. And so it was really, (laughs) the the story is hilarious, uh, except for all the people who lost a lot of money and except for the (laughs) the herds. It's still pretty funny. (laughs) Okay, well, that's, you could still make that funny because it's like, what the hell do you think you were doing? But then you realize that like, it's like, you know, when you buy a kid, like a chick or a baby bunny for Easter, and then you're like, well, now I've got this thing for fucking 20 years, <laughs> but it's a herd of alpacas. So like alpaca rescues have had to crop up. People were like trying to find ways of euthanizing their alpacas. Like people were getting dragged to court for animal cruelty because like they couldn't afford to feed their alpacas. It's like, Jeez. yeah, it's, you know how like this the tulip, thing. This the tulip thing. thing happened in like, Amsterdam uh, yeah. in like the 1500s or whatever. 
It's like that, but with fucking alpacas. <laughs> so really what we need to do is we need to make alpaca fever. We need to bring back. We got to bring him back. Alicia Vikander and all them. And Zach Galifianakis. Wait, is he in that? I think so. I was like Dane DeHaan and, and that German guy that everyone loves, Christoph Waltz. Uh, oh, yeah. Did anybody see that movie? No, I feel like they didn't want me to. <laughs> I kind of wanted to. <sighs> I don't know. Nothing is stopping about? you. The, the movie Tulip Fever? I don't know what it that is. It was like produced in like 2013 <laughs> and like it was sort of last. came out. Oh, <laughs> okay. Profile yes. Weinstein release before Me Too happened. Yes. It had a very graphic, uh, <laughs> like R-rated trailer. Oh my God, did it? Yes. And they tried to say it's like the sexiest thriller of the whatever. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Sure. It's called Tulip Fever, and it's the sexiest movie ever. Made. You gotta, you gotta pluck that bud. I don't know. <laughs> I feel real upset Dame, that I just said that. Dame Judy Dench and Cara Delevingne, and yeah, you'll oh, yeah, be right. shocked by the stuff they do. <laughs> it's got oh, a fucking no. cast. I mean, I don't know. What to tell yes, you. Zach Galifianakis is in this. Oh my god, guys, the, the tagline for Tulip Fever is this summer, they're in full blue. Oh, <laughs> no. Jack O'Connell is in it. Zach Galifianakis is, in fact, in it. So is Tom O'Connell. What, what the fuck are y'all doing, man? People thought this was going to be a big movie. It was based on a book <laughs> that people liked. It's, it's just like the alpaca farm. It's just like the alpacas. Biopics are the alpacas. <laughs> <laughs> no, they only serve to, to make alpacas. More. Alpacas are way more useful than biopics. <laughs> you can't wear a biopic. The thing is that, like, so alpacas are apparently a very docile animal. So it's not like, you mm-hmm. know, horses or something. And they're cute as shit. So it's like. Yeah, I've seen some. Yeah, yeah alpacas are with them. like a more adorable llama, and so people you know, are like. Yeah, do you have your own alpaca farm? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you did enough research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people felt very put out. <laughs> some people are still wrestling some? with the economic destruction because <laughs> their goddamn alpacas didn't pan out. Some people tried to find the guy who sold him the alpacas, but he had changed his number. (laughs) (laughs) I would love it if that became Uh, like a piece of apocrypha about this podcast (laughs) is like Brian Rowan lost a significant sum of money (laughs) trying to raise alpacas. Oh, my God. Anyway, so the end of this. Can can we talk about this movie? (laughs) I told you this. This this uh, conversation was going to encompass a lot of stuff. I am. I like that someone had mentioned the hydrologist and how it was weird that he was like a main character. But I kind of like the fact that like Stanley didn't fully get away from the concept of like a narrator removed from everything. It is um, he basically takes the the um, the place of both the uh, reservoir guy from the the actual story and Army Pierce. Yeah. Who um who is the guy who actually saw everything? Because the the story itself is like a surveyor who's going to like make sure people are aware that a reservoir is going up and is going to flood their land is walking around, and he hears about this blasted heath. He hears about something called the strange days, and then he's like, "All right, I'm going to try to figure this out." Because now I'm curious, and he talks to a guy who's like slightly crazy, and is like, "Yep, forty years ago, some bad shit happened, and here's what I remember." 
And um, so, yeah, it is, as I keep saying, like the narrator removed from everything. And uh, it was interesting that this kind of kept it going. And I'm curious. There, there are things in this movie that make me curious as to whether or not they're going to try to build a kind of interconnected like universe. Yeah. Like the fact that um, the girl is named Lavinia. Oh, yeah. That's a name from the story The Dunwich Horror. And so I was like, and she's, you know, she's doing her, her Wiccan stuff. And I was like, so like, is that going to be, is that going to like tie in? Like maybe this Gardner family is like descended of the family from the Dunwich horror. I don't know. I It's, it's curious. It's one of those things where I think like, it doesn't hurt if you don't know the story, but if you do, it's kind of cool that that's a thing that could happen. Maybe the extended uh, Lovecraft cinematic universe. Damn right. <laughs> maybe Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye is going to come in in the credits. <laughs> Oh God! But maybe like, you know, I always say like, I, I feel bad that I'm not a fan of things and that I can't care if like the guy who said to hello to Tony Stark outside of a restaurant is like Spider-Man's third cousin that only like four people know about from the comics. But maybe I get to do that now with the Lovecraft stuff. Did you guys see fucking uh, the Michael Keaton is in? I, I watched the Morbius trailer. <laughs> no. Oh, why? Jared Leto's a vampire and it's yeah, yeah 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 I'm aware of what Morbius is but why did you do that <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Michael Keaton showed up at the end and I'm like put Michael Keaton in good movies wasn't I, I, he yeah. already killed in one of those movies no no he was the <laughs> he's the the vulture dude who was thrown in jail no yeah. oh they threw him in jail he That's already a had a, a post credit sequence in that movie where someone was like blah 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 Spider Man and he's like I don't know. Right? I don't know. Fucking, yes. I can't keep up. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Why are we talking about the Morbius trailer? I don't know. One of these... <laughs> one of, one of, someone on Twitter... Post I also like yeah. the music by Colin Stetson. Yes. Yeah, no, I... Great, great this, score. This is a very different one from hit for him, too. Yeah. Like, you know, because he's, he's always using the alto... I think it's alto saxophone. I believe so. Like, yeah. Like that technique he does, he's insane to watch live yeah, as well. A terrific uh, performer, yeah, and a very, very skilled writer. Um, and yeah. and kind of like Stanley or Lovecraft, it's it's all about atmosphere. It's about creating this very tactile atmosphere with the sounds you're doing. This sure. one felt like one, maybe one of his most electric uh, uh, reliance. Um, it was uh, yeah. extremely strong work. Yeah, a lot more synths as well, and yeah, a very different sound for him. So. Yeah, this is yeah, this is an interesting movie. I I I hope it doesn't just become another, you know. I I Not obviously you can speak to this uh, scout as someone who has watched way too many Nicolas Cage movies. All of them, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so do you you know what I'm single-handedly saying, keeping him out of out of jail? That's right. <laughs> the reason Nicolas Cage isn't in debtor's prison, <laughs> me. You, you, but you understand what I was saying then about his uh, his vampires kiss thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very vampires kiss, and yeah, John Senley pointed that out to me before, so I was like looking for it, and then, thankfully it only happens for a scene, but it's like that's a long scene. Yeah, he like goes from his like patriarchal like oh well blah blah blah. To, yeah. Maybe yeah. you should just go away, Lavinia. I'll tell you what, I'll do you a favor. I'll get the fuck out of yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who hasn't who hasn't seen that 
I haven't. Oh, Bill, you gotta, you gotta just take yeah. a, take a which, moment. Which is why, which is why I, I thought Trump immediately, and no, y'all were it's like, still, it's oh. very Trump, it's very Trump, but it's also Vampire's Kiss, and I'm, I'm sure that Nicolas Cage thought that was brilliant satire while they were filming it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's just too fucking silly to work. Yeah. It's it's fucking it's a choice, and I was just like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" And then also, <laughs> like the immediately afterwards, he's back to normal, and he's like, "Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna be winning any father of the year." <laughs> I know he's like, "Uh, it's so weird that he is like he he realizes what he done went and did, but he's like it, and and you know, I think that you can you can basically chalk it up to like, well, you know, they're all going crazy because this thing is right, coming exactly, destroyed exactly. them." Yeah, but it's still funny to think that he's like, oh, God, honey, I did my Trump impression again at the kids. I'm so mad. At my- <laughs> that, re- that reminds me. I love how they shoot uh, shoot Jolie Richardson eventually cutting off her fingers <laughs> oh, for God, so true. long. It's They're just so cross-cutting. Gross. I'm like, God damn it. I know it's coming. Just yep. do it. <laughs> well, yeah. they they reuse some of the sequences again and again in this film. I thought um, I, I noticed a few sequences where like they cut away and then they cut back and I'm like, wait, 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 we, we saw this like five minutes ago. Like, wait, wait, what are you doing goddamn here? carrot. It's yeah. a really long carrot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I thought that whole sequence when she chops off her fingers, I was just like. Okay, you are really building to this. Like, this is going to be fantastic. And then it happens, and you're like, you didn't even fucking show it. Like, what are you doing? Like, you 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 almost immediately cut cut away. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, but I think what's interesting can't... to me about like that moment is like, yeah, it's horrifying. But like, okay, so the buildup is crazy because I'm like, they had like, <clears throat> now I need to see it. Like, I need to see her cut off her fingers because yeah. this has been happening way too long. Or what would be even better is if she doesn't cut her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I thought was going to happen was like, something else crazy was going to happen. Well, I yeah. thought she was going to stab the boy. Yeah, I was, yeah, about that I, was too. I was thinking something, something about that or, you know, yeah. It goes on so long that you're like, now I don't know. Now I don't trust this movie to give me what I'm used to, which is going to be weird. And then uh, what I love is just like, it's not usually the thing that happens. It's the way that they respond to it. So like, yeah. you know, her feeling so stupid about cutting her fingers and him like, you know, trying to, to, to make her feel better. And then the kids like being like, okay, we re- we really got to buckle down and take care of this farm. Please go feed the alpacas and put them in the barn. And then they, uh-huh. he, he does, but then they're not. And it's just like, what is happening with these fucking alpacas? <laughs> <laughs> they're a docile creature. Why do they keep breaking out? Have you fed them yet, you stoner idiot? And like everyone's getting mad at each other, even though you can like feel that beneath all of this unintended anger, like they still love each other and they're like confused as to what the hell is going on with them. It's very, yeah, that's, it's, the heartbreak of that is really quite affecting. It's an interesting tonal gambit because, especially for anybody who'd read the story, you know how it ends. And so really what you're doing is you've got this sort of doomsday clock as your, as your narrative engine. And so you're watching these poor folks fall apart. And at times when the performances are at their best, it really does feel quite harrowing. Um, you know, the, the, the sister's reaction to most of what she sees is pretty upsetting, thinking specifically the well and then also when uh uh 
they're trying to like she like just can't get out of the house she goes to go to the horse and it doesn't yeah. work and it's uh it, it it's it, it really stays with you it's pretty it's pretty affecting without sort of uh, uh without being over much i would say mm-hmm. i i think the there's a couple of sequences that really lost me. And one of them was the fact that they kind of build up and they show this horrific scene of her like performing, uh, like cutting into her skin and, and doing mm. all this egregious stuff. And it cuts away. And the next time you see her, like all you can really see of the damage that she's done is on her forehead. And you're just like, Really, you did all of that, and then all you're going to give me for the rest of this movie is like she's got like an A on her forehead. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And nobody <laughs> really like says. Uh, I think I think Cage does at one point say, "What did you do to yourself?" And I'm looking at him like, "She just got an A on her head. Like it, it doesn't look that <laughs> bad. Like you, you should have seen the shit I saw." You know, I was like, um, "What what's going on here?" And I. I I think maybe maybe that's kind of an obvious sign of like budget where they were just like, you want to do what with her for the rest of this movie? How about we don't do that? How about we put a shirt on and let's just pretend it never happened? And I guess someone was just like, okay, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the little dragonfly or the, the praying mantis thing, um, I, I like the idea idea of that but i just feel like when i saw it i was like i want more weirdness out of this and then it starts to do like the tentacle thing and i was like that's that's what i want i don't want a praying mantis you gotta oh, give Bill, me the tentacle the tentacles, thing huh? yes 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 mike Thank well they'd loan them all um, out to the lighthouse you gotta go listen you gotta go watch the untamed again yes Great. untamed or, or lighthouse yeah um but yeah i thought i thought some of the budget restrictions were I guess a little bit on the nose for me that I just noticed them more and which kind of bums me out. Like I don't want to notice shit like that, but I know <laughs> lately uh, when you got a movie with Nicolas Cage, you're probably dealing with budget restrictions in some fashion yeah. or another. Um, and so, you know, and that's beyond just me knowing who Richard Stanley even is. And so it's like, okay, like, eh, you know they they're gonna have to round some corners here, and they certainly did with some of that stuff. But I thought the Jolie Richardson scene when she's like a full on creature, like a mm-hmm. multi limbed creature, I was like, whoa! That's when my fiance like woke up from her nap like five minutes before that, and then she saw that and she was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> this movie's gotten weird. <laughs> um yeah i i was really fucking creeped out by the fact that they actually like went for it with the body horror of putting them two together with her son i was i was horrified the whole time every and i'm just like jolie richardson what did you sign yourself up for like jesus how long did that take to like put on and like get situated and just like I don't know what she was doing with her voice. I couldn't tell if she was supposed to be speaking or if she was supposed to be like, like yelling at them. I, I don't know. That was, 
that was unnerving. That's that's when the movie I think works best for me is some of that shit where it's it's just really going for it, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's that perfect melding point of the budget and the actual like uh, I guess uh, vision right where it's like okay this is what we can get away with let's do some weird wicked shit like this. And, and the, the, yeah, the, the Jolie Richardson melding with the youngest son thing, you know, it's almost interesting to talk about, you know, the budgetary restrictions here. <clears throat> I, I almost don't know, even if you had like an unlimited budget, like what the best way no. to do that would be like, yeah. So stuff like that where like you could think about it almost as though HP Lovecraft had a budget restriction and it was the finite ability of human imagination and vocabulary to explicate the insanity of the cosmos. Well well said, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you. So like by this movie being like, we're going to put them in a blanket. We're going to give you sort of little clips of it. You're going to see like a hand gripping the couch, even though the mother is turned to face away from the couch, like all this other stuff, like, and that's going to be how we get around it. Much as like Lovecraft literally has a short story that is two authors being like, you know, hey, man, your stories suck. It's like a real cop out that you're like, uh, it was a real bad thing and I can't even describe it and mm-hmm. I can't name it. The story is called like the unnameable. And it basically ends with that dick author who's like your stories are a cop out. You need to start describing stuff, getting assaulted by a creature that comes up from a crack in the ground. And then he's in the hospital and he's like, it was just stuff. It was crazy. It was the unnameable, <laughs> which has got to be like the first like Birdman esque type of thing where it's like, sure, I've got critics. Well, I'm going to lambast them in art. I'm going to have them get assaulted by an amorphous hooved creature from out of the store, like starry nonsense. The, uh, of the classic diss track. Yeah, exactly. It's a real Biggie and Tupac shit. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm with you guys that I thought that the Jolie Richardson stuff is uh, quite well judged. And uh, and again, the commitment, the commitment is all there. The performance is so um, alive and strange. Like you can tell she's really doing work even under all the prosthetics. And then, of course, the horrible puppet of her head and mm-hmm. the stop motion spidery stuff. Yeah, deeply creepy. Um, really, the, the you know, whatever, whatever they spent on that was just the right amount. Um, it's yeah. Anything, anything with even like a hint of stop motion is okay with me. I just, I I can't get enough. You know, you, again, you see fingerprints, you see people really hard at work trying to make, you know, something that's artistic and beautiful and also terrible and nightmarish. Yeah. And that's like, again, what, what I loved about like the mist and like the bird creatures and that is the weird herky jerky, almost like animated on the fours. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Even in comparison, though, to something like The Mist, you know, when they finally, you know, if a monster grabs someone or something, that person's fucked. But, like, it's sustained in uh, Colorado space. Like, uh, the scene, for instance, where that eldritch monster, uh, the very, like, thing, uh, Silent Hill-type monster (laughs) is over uh, Madeline Arthur's character. Like, it's just, like, hovering over (laughs) for, like, a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing happens. Just like you're just seeing uh, gross fluids just yeah. drip down on her. Yeah, because you're almost wondering, like, <laughs> like, is it still the mom? Like, is she 
like trying to get help for herself or is she is she now like corrupted to the point of being like some sort of beast yeah it's very weird in in the short story the the color feeds off of all living biological material and so like it weakens their mind and then feeds on their body and their energy until they literally crumble into dust (laughs) yeah that's the image the image of the mother in the attic in the story is one of my favorite pieces of lovecraft description the woman with the eyes that glow in the dark sort of Mm -hmm. rooting around on the floor they can't quite see her but they know that she's there it's it's really, really beautifully rendered. Yeah, it's uh, it's real. I mean, like this, this I, one of one of the reasons why this is like one of his more popular stories is because you know it's it's almost biblical in in the way that it kind of yes treats these people like Job. Yeah, and, um, very much. And it's just it it's very it's very matter of fact, and it it happens and it's done, and there's the hint of something after, but it doesn't it doesn't involve as much as some of his other stuff. Was this um, yeah. the first time that they've they've shown the image of a black reader reciting Lovecraft? Like I I, I remember I thinking found that about that very interesting. Yeah, extremely interesting. A kind of a way to strip him of his uh you know his texts more xenophobic power is to have you know that beautiful voice reading his words. It was uh, it was Dude. really striking. I want him to do like an audio book of the whole of the yeah. Colorado space. He he That's, has yeah. such a good, yeah. you know, thousand yard stare of a voice while they mm-hmm. have those, those images of those crazy looking trees. Yeah. I would um, need a joint after that experience as well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, it did, it almost reminds, and I, I, one of the things that I love most is that like, um, you know, we're at a point now where, uh, you know, we can, we can admit the 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 bad parts of H.P. Lovecraft while still admiring what he did, like the um the book um the Ballad of Black Tom by uh, Victor Lavelle I think is a fantastic book uh, by an African American man that takes a character from a Lovecraft story and kind of like puts his actions as like a quote unquote villain in the context of the kind of racism at the time that made Lovecraft write that story, which is. One of his worst stories, uh, both in terms of writing and in terms of racism. And it's just a shockingly good book. If anyone has any interest in Lovecraft and has not read The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Lavelle, it's it's so good. You got to check it out. And seeing this movie do something similar by making him the narrator and having him read those those bits of Lovecraft as a narration to this and also have him be the last man standing after like an entire white family gets wiped out was like... An interesting little inversion. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, Stanley doing his bit to decolonize the the racist writing. Yeah, and it makes me and, and it's stuff like that, you know, those little things. And again, the Lost Soul documentary, like I said, the first like fucking hour of it, it's just Stanley talking about this grand vision that he had and all this cool stuff he wanted to do, and um, seeing some of that stuff get brought into this and seeing what he is able to bring makes me interested to see what he does do. If he does do, I think he said that he wanted to do the Dunwich horror next and the uh, producers are apparently on board. So very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it could be pretty awesome. I think that just, I like I said, I don't know the type of mind, the type of talent that it would take to really bring Lovecraft to the screen in the way he needs to be done. I think that, you know, 
Stuart Gordon has done some stuff that was pretty all right. Dagon is kind of a weird. It's weird a, it's the budget but thing, but it's very it's very him, and certainly it's interesting to see the way that Stuart Gordon internalized so much of Lovecraft's writing, and the style that came out was much more action oriented. Yeah. Um. And and you know a little more light on atmosphere. It's kind of like you know an inverted approach to the same subject matter, but it also in and uh, it makes sure that he doesn't overreach really, and that also you're you're seeing things in a literal sense that you don't in in the work. You know he makes everything very plain and very visible. Yeah, and he and and his the Dagon was a <clears throat> an adaptation of the Shadow over Innsmouth, which is one of Lovecraft's most action-packed I guess you know it's like this guy goes to this town and is like asking a bunch of questions and uh, basically the whole town comes out to try to murder him (laughs) and he has to get away and it's one of the few stories that I feel like it is the guy the stuff is happening to who's telling you the story even though the the last half or the first half of that story is him just learning about the town it's it's weird how Lovecraft loves to fold science and history in and then maybe if the protagonist is lucky or perhaps unlucky enough he'll get to be a part of the story too mm-hmm. so, yeah. well because i think that's how he felt about most life i mean he lived in a dingy apartment i think he felt at a remove from most of the world and his you know his xenophobias did not help him feel any more uh, at home with his fellow human beings you know the sickly nerd from providence who lived for yes, like a summer exactly. in new york Yes. And was like, ugh, I hate all of these foreigners. I'm going to go back to Providence and then die of consumption. As as we all must. <laughs> when you look like him, you come out of the womb and everyone's like, ooh, it's going to suck when this die- guy dies of consumption before 30. Yeah. <laughs> they start the consumption clock. <laughs> How long until he's in a four-posted veiled bed staring into the <laughs> ceiling, pallid and yeah. dying? strapped into an iron lung praying for death (laughs) Uh, just writing letters to people talking about how sad he is I don't think he ever really liked most of his stories his life is kind of a I mean you know I I think we're done (laughs) (laughs) I mean I could go on for a while I'm 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 a I'm curious for uh you know scout is the person who has read Lovecraft what are your favorite stories or what do you think like, you know, it, let's say Stanley does Dunwatora. What would be the third one that you'd want him to do? Oh, gosh. Well, that's an interesting question because you, again, have to factor in the scope and the style. Yeah. Maybe what I would like to see him tackle is something like, um, I believe it's called The Shadow Out of Time, um, in which they enter a, it's an archaeological find, and they enter this chamber where they sort of see, like, ancient gods that take the form of, like, strange lines he describes them almost as being like music notes or numbers, like mm-hmm. moving, writhing. I think that kind of thing that relies on on ingenuity and imagination would be pretty fascinating. But, I mean, you know, I like all the classic stuff too, Mountains of Madness and uh, um, uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth is great as well. I, you know, I, I don't think you could kind of go wrong. Uh, and I think, as with all of them, you could also have a different director direct the same story every year and you'd never get the same results. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it would be interesting to see. I, I feel like the budget for something like shadow over Innsmouth would be very difficult to do. 
to do it yes. justice. Well, um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see someone tackle like the rats in the walls. That'd be great. I feel like you could get away with doing like map paintings and some CGI for that. Uh, but like, you know, that it's that kind of like corrupted bloodline, like weird history shit going down <laughs> type yeah. of stuff. I've and always then, wanted to do something with the lurking fear. Um, so I hope he doesn't steal it. But at the same time, <laughs> I feel like I'm that sure. would be, there'd be some budget concerns there. Where would you, how would you, uh, you know, cast and clothe an entire camp of gypsies? That's <laughs> Look, if Guy Ritchie can do it in Sherlock Holmes too. I oh, I was gonna say Snatch. <laughs> oh, that's right. What is this thing with gypsies? I don't know. I think they're a big thing in the UK. Um, yeah. But I guess my I would love to see. I think that I think that Stanley, with his love, because you know Lovecraft touches on at once the scientific specters of like the yawning cosmos, but he also has a deep fixation on the witchcraft lore of um, New England. And so I think for Stanley, a good way to do both, which he's clearly interested in in this movie, would be to do um, Dreams in the Witch House. Oh, that would be great. And that would be a kind of like single situation place that I think could keep the budget down. And then we get to see what they uh, what his special effects people do with old Jenkin. Mm -hmm. Brown Jenkin. Yeah, that's it. Oh, man. So looking forward to that. Um, but that is the uh, the end of our conversation. Awesome. Got to talk about alpacas, HP Lovecraft, and the color out of space. This has been a good night, guys. <laughs> Real gold star day. <laughs> Any final thoughts on this before we sew it up, anyone? Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why they called the the mayor the first time the meteorite shows up that still was weird to me that they called the sheriff and the mayor i guess he got connections i think it was because they were they were going to sell the land i think they were trying well, to get she him was in touch trying with to get him to sell the land she said something like you should have just sold me this goddamn land yeah right Korean and culture the in this movie we did not spend enough time talking about how weird it is that she is even a character with a plot that is only in for like a scene and a half she her second appearance in the movie is voice only <laughs> Yeah, it's she she like maybe is on screen for a half second, but it's primarily voice only. It's in a commercial about like the <laughs> reservoir that's coming. And then they're like, hey, there's a sheriff guy who has a gun. He can we can kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna need that gun for the climax. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I think in general, my my, you know, uh, as with Mandy, I don't want to be I don't want to sound like I'm overpraising something for being you know demonstrably crazy as if that's sort of its own cinematic virtue and your name isn't Wojciech Haas um so I I I in general I I liked it uh, quite a bit and I was moved by it in a way that I didn't think I was going to be um yeah. you know not not a masterpiece uh, but uh, quite quite fun and uh, it was it was really great to see the practical effects stuff they got away with yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. This is an, an in, a very interesting movie. I think it's it's great that we have it. It's nice that that's happening. I think it's a good calling card for what could come next mm. from this creative team. And um, I, you know, not that it's saying that much, but top tier Lovecraft adaptation, like one of the best, for sure. I guess. For sure, might even be the best. Yeah, except for like they they like you know the thing is almost like it's one of those things that um, so is alien you know i mean if yeah. you open it up to to imitation you have to wor work in all of guillermo del toro and uh, yeah you know Uzumaki i think the thing, the thing like would that. be the most hp lovecraftian just because it's like 
here's something that literally we cannot explain and it's just weird as shit and it's it's like that it's like you know it's a bunch of scientists it's a bunch of fucking nerds so sure one of them is kurt russell and the other one's keith david but you've also got wilford brimley in there and if he's not an hp lovecraft protagonist i don't know who is that's very true. Gazing in horror at the uh, possibilities of extraterrestrial intelligence. I watched the thing last night in preparation for this to sort of, you know, remind myself where a goodly some of the visual ideas come from. And mm-hmm. it is interesting to watch a movie that is so solidly constructed in every way and never step, yeah. you know, puts a foot out of line. Mm-hmm. And then to return to this and be like, well, it's no the thing, but it is quite good. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, but again, how many things are the thing? Yeah. I feel like I'm in a David Mamet play when I say something like, how many things are the thing? (laughs) That is a joke for four people, and I'm glad that Scout was one of them. (laughs) That's all for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Uh, Don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day subscription to movie. Check out the great series they have going on. You can still watch The Tower, the documentary about the shooting at the University of Texas at Austin, which is a great, great film. And of course, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. Also, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash filmstage show to give us your money. And uh, yeah, that is that. Uh, what are we talking about next? I still have a hope that at some point we will talk about it in life. Yes. I, I don't know. Yeah. I really want to talk about that. Even, I, if, I'm, even if it's like two years from now and it's just like, oh, we finally have a broken weekend. Sure. Let's just finally talk about a hidden light. Mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing r- the rhythm section tomorrow. So okay. I can tell if you guys whether that's good. Fun. Please tell me. Because <laughs> <clears throat> I, 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 I want to It is it. from the Broccoli's, isn't it? What is it? It is. Yeah. The James Bond is, people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. And it's a, it's a Reed Murano who. Um, yeah. Would, uh, I didn't really like the the, uh, the Hulu adaptation of uh, No, I didn't either. But no. aesthetically, I really quite enjoyed it. Yeah, there's yeah, some she good. She knows what the camera is for, that's for sure. Well, she was a cinematographer, so I should hope <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. Fake yeah. it till you make it. I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck this big thing is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rhythm section. Uh, Blake Lively's in it. I liked her in the shallows. Um, so yeah, Michael, Jeez. if that's good, please... Great. Please let me please let me know. All right, I'll, I'll let you know. All right, great. Um, are you reviewing that somewhere? Uh, yeah, uh, right. that'll be at the school. Cool. Um, that's a great segue into plugs. Before we get out of here, uh, Scott Foy, why don't you? You came late, so you didn't even get a chance to introduce yourself up front. But you've been <laughs> on the show at least two times before, so people should hopefully know you. But why don't you tell them where your stuff can be found on the internet? Yeah, apologies for the late arrival. My internet stopped working, so I had no way to get in touch with anyone. Um, <laughs> yes, it felt very Lovecraftian. Um, no, uh, so I, you can find me on Twitter, honors underscore zombie is my handle. You can find me patreon.com slash honors zombie. Um, I, uh, I have a monthly uh, column for rodriever.com, The Unloved. Um, that's where I pick a movie that people should like and don't and scold them for not liking it. Um, and then uh, <laughs> your, uh, uh, your your dissertation on Deja Vu opened by like scolding people and yourself for not liking Tony Scott enough when he was alive. That's true. <laughs> and yeah, I was I felt really great about how superior I got to feel to you in that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's rarely a thing Twitter. that I get to do is feel superior to you. But I was like, I've always <laughs> loved Tony Scott and knew he was a genius. So fuck you, man. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I was very late to the Tony Scott thing. Honestly, it was it was a, a hand. It was like Danny Kasman and Dan Salit being so sure that he was good that finally was like, all right, well, what are you seeing here that I'm not? <laughs> and then somebody commissioned uh, a fellow named Noah Wafsi commissioned me to make an essay on Domino, and I'm like, fuck, I don't even want to think about Domino, let alone watch <laughs> it again. But I went back and I was like, oh, okay, there's actually something here. It's you know what I would love to do ultimately is do. 24 hour psycho but 24 hour domino because i think that's a movie that benefits from being watched a single frame like for 10 seconds at a time damn it's uh so beautiful that film um but anyway yeah so i'm on patreon.com slash honor zombie uh rogerebert.com at least once a month you can sometimes see me in the los angeles review of books and uh wherever else people will have me thank you very much for uh, listening to me ramble and uh and thanks for seeking out my esoteric knowledge. <laughs> yeah, we uh, I bullied these two basically into doing a classic episode on Unstoppable. And there was like a question <laughs> as to why I would be so emphatic about it. And then we all watched it and they're like, oh, this is great. Uh, well, Bill, I think you yeah, got it. Yes. Michael yes, was like, I, I uh, was are we immediately. sure? <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen it. Fuck off. <laughs> That's the problem, man. <laughs> Good movie. Great movie. Um, I love Scott, but I will still say True Romance is not good. No, bad movie. I haven't seen that in a while. I do feel like I need to, to, to rewatch it's, it. It doesn't not, hold up. No, it doesn't. doesn't. Hold up. You stabbed me in the heart. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> who's next? Bill Graham, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on the internet all, all about the places. Uh, you can also find me on the Slack uh, channel, uh, mixing it up as always. Um, apparently, there's there's a lot of confusion over uh, what looks better, Blu-rays or 4K streaming. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> the one that is uncompressed, I would have to assume, is the better one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, funny how that works. Yes. Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, uh, on Letterboxd. I I have to write the review for The Turning tonight, which uh, when it ended, I screamed, oh, fuck you, at the, <laughs> at the screen when it ended. So um, uh, Mackenzie Davis is good, though. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll have a write-up, uh, hopefully up at the spool by the time you hear this. Is it, so does it end like the devil inside where it, it says if you want to learn more go to this website? <laughs> no, it okay. Uh, without any spoilers, it kind of feels like it's doing a pretty obvious turning of the screw uh, twist riff, but then it kind of swerves into the cell identity territory but then doesn't actually commit to either oh good <laughs> that sounds cohesive <laughs> no it's not <laughs> all right well as for me you can find my stuff at uh brianjron.com dearfilm.net uh, of course the filmstage.com Follow me on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan, uh, Facebook. Well, Facebook, no. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't really give a shit. You want to find him on LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Everywhere you go, if you look Brian J. Rowan up, that's me. So if you want to know what I do in my day job, LinkedIn is fine. Um, yeah, it's uh, and then uh, my personal uh, Instagram is open to everyone. And of course, you can follow uh, the company, the distilling company that I started with my friend at Schmidt Spirits on Instagram and uh, Twitter as well. 
That is all for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next week when we will probably be talking about A Hidden Life, the newest film from Terrence Malick.